Hello and welcome to Reflex Point, a weekly podcast where we review and discuss the series Robotech one episode at a time. We're your hosts, Major Medina. I am Paul Marquez. And this week we're talking episode four, The Long Wait. Uh, the episode first appeared on television on March 7th, 1985, and the overview states, The hyperspace jump strands the SDF-1 in deep space and the crew must rescue thousands of survivors from Macross Island. After crash landing in a deserted section of the SDF-1, Rick and Minmay face starvation as they struggle to survive. Okay, so uh, one thing I wanted to note early on, in fact, there's a little bit of housekeeping we had to do from episode three. It is Rick launching off of either the Prometheus or the Daedalus as it's attached to the SDF-1. But there was a question last uh, last week of, where's he launching off of uh, in that, that great shot? But that brings me to another point. First off, I'm still not skipping the intro. And in this case, I actually ended up watching, just because I was curious, I ended up watching the digitally remastered version, the original Macross series. And then in addition to that, I watched uh, the original broadcast version. And... Here's the thing. I forget how exciting that original broadcast version intro is. Completely different, right? You think it's better than the enhanced? I do think it's better than the enhanced because it gives you all three generations in there. And and I guess it's when you know what's going to happen. You're like, you know what? That's coming up. That's coming up. Man, I can't wait to see Dana. Man, I can't wait to see Scott Bernard. And in the enhanced, they don't see a lot of it. I've been listening to more than actually watching. Uh-huh. Um, and so what's 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 hitting me is that you can tell that there's more realistic, uh, you know, airplane noises in it, and and like Gatling guns, and it's it's a very rich sound, and I I've enjoyed that quite a bit. Oh, that's that's fair. That's a fair uh, fair point. It, it is. I, I guess it was just me looking at the original broadcast, and uh, you know, it, it was nostalgia, is what it was. Um, I had almost forgotten what that original intro was after having watched the digital for for so long. Okay, I'm gonna have to check it out and watch it because I I thought it was it was just a, a soundtrack over the original animation of the of the intro intro. No, man, it's all shots, and you'll know it the minute you see it because I know this because the only way I saw the original uh, was through your VHS. You know, you get shots of all three generations. You get the that lineup, the the four person lineup of uh, Scott Rand. Rook and somebody else. Maybe it's Lunk. I think it's Lunk. Is it Lunk? Yeah, you get that that four shot uh, side profile shot of them. Mm-hmm. You get to see the Regis, you know, do that that fly up into the sky, like a phoenix kind of thing. You're, right, right. And they had that um, that Dana shooting at the screen as the the bumpers for the commercials too, right? I believe so. You know, like Robotech will be right back. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, it was it was exciting to see. So if you get a chance, watch the watch the original broadcast version again. It'll just take you back to your old VHS. Um, I watched it for a very specific reason, and we'll we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, but in this, so the narrator gives a little bit of of backstory. Uh, it doesn't go too far back. I, if you'll remember, in episode three, I was saying the narrator's 
recapping episode one and two. Uh, but in this one, he just recaps the fact that they've done the space fold and that they're on the other side of Pluto uh, or about to be on Pluto. So we get to scene one, right? Global on the phone saying he doesn't know what happened, but, but the priority is to get the civilians on board as fast as they can. Lisa informs Global that they can't communicate with the aircraft carriers, which weren't meant for outer space. Uh, that's that's like a, a tension riser right there. And then Global tells her to bring carriers alongside the ship, which is exciting when you know what's going to happen, but also exciting in the fact that, okay, they did the space fold. We have Prometheus and Daedalus included in that. Here's my question, because because Global says, like, all those human lives lost. Just from this scene and this scene alone and, and knowing about the space hold, fold from the original episode, how many civilian lives, in fact, not even civilian, how many lives do you think... That he feels personally responsible for? Uh, how many lives is Global carrying on his shoulders? What What is... I don't know what the, the crew... Uh, what is it? Compartment is for for an aircraft carrier, but it's a lot, right? And so there, there were two of them. So and these were super carriers, probably beyond even what were oh yeah, yeah. what the the most modern carriers of today can carry. So, uh, probably a lot. <laughs> he probably killed quite a few people. Um, so are are you saying that the the crew of the aircraft carriers were probably killed? Yes. Yes, they were. Because in the book, it goes in a little bit further of how they, like, cleaning up the bodies of everybody that died in those aircraft. They weren't, they weren't made for the vacuum of space, so they all freaking died. So the, the number, the number, I, I, I couldn't place an exact number, but I know, it, I mean, it was probably a lot. But I, at the same time, too, like, I don't think he knew that fold, like they didn't, he didn't know. How could he have known you weren't supposed to fold that close to a planet? You know, that was the first space fold ever completed by humans. Right, right. But in a very short period of time of the fold, he has been informed of three things. One, the fold system's gone. Two, they're not on the other side of the moon. They're, they're on Pluto. And then three, that it brought the island with them. So he's being hit with all three of those things pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I could see how he would feel responsible for that. Um, I don't really think he had a choice. You know, they were getting hammered, hammered on, on Earth, you know? No, we, t- we talked about this last time. Uh, uh, there there was no choice. And, and Claudia sure gave him a bunch of guff right before they did the space fold that he needs clearance and, and all that. And, and we decided it was a good choice. He had no other choice but to make that, that fold. But now dealing with the reality of it, it was, yeah, I think there was quite a bit of, quite a bit of lives lost at that time. At least two wow. carrier <laughs> ships worth. And, and think about that. Like, you know, for me, it was always like growing up, it would be like, well, don't you want to be a doctor? Doesn't everybody want to be a doctor? And I, I always thought, no, I don't want to be responsible for somebody's life. So uh, to be the <laughs> captain of a ship who ends up responsible for however many uh, people's deaths, like that's that's pretty brutal uh, to be hit with. Yeah, he, he definitely got a heavy burden on his shoulders from, from a very early start. Yeah, yeah. Poor Captain Global. 
So it cuts over to to Rick and what the narrator describes as his, his new, new friend. friend. Exactly what I have here Mindy. too. <laughs> <laughs> they are deep within the hull of the SDF one. Rick tries to get his fighter operational. At least that's that's his that's what's in his mind. That's his plan. The fighter's caught on wires, literally hanging about, I'd say, like eight feet off the ground. And Rick is trying to cut it loose or, or just get the ropes off of it, get the wires off of it. Right, because it was, it was upside down, caught in those cables, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a little bit of uh, uh, research I did on that. So his fighter is a light fan jet racer. It's nicknamed the Mockingbird. It was a gift from Roy to Rick after the end of the Global War. And uh, that comes from uh, from the comic From the Stars. So now we have a name on it. Nice. The Mockingbird. Hmm. It fits, I think. Yeah, I like it. It's yeah, cute, right? It was a cute little jet. And, it, you know, it kind of shows the the exactly how Rick Hunter just wanted to be a pilot. There was nothing warlike about that fan jet, you know? Right. Right, except for those booster compartments coming, shattering down off the back end. Right, but see, but think of that more in the sense of like these street racers putting NOS in their car, you know, right. that, that, to make it go fast. They're not trying to engage in war. They just want to go fast, you know? So when you're, yeah. a, when you're a pilot, yeah. it's, it was probably the same thing. He hit those that little button, it burned that special gas, and he thrust at some crazy speeds that amateur pilots... Never really got to. There you go. I like that. I, I, I particularly like the the fact that it came from Roy. So he would have immediately clocked it when it came in during the exhibition. So the fighter's hanging upside down. It's cotton cables. Uh, Rick's trying to get it loose. But I don't know. What's his plan? Again, from my research, that ship, it weighs about 1,400 pounds. If he gets some ropes loose and it comes crashing down... I mean, it's going to cause... Minmay's just standing right around it. It's going to potentially hurt her. Yeah, but he's not in his right mind, dude. Like, I've been in a car that was upside down, and, uh-huh. and it's a weird thing that takes over you because when, when I crawled out of it, my first thought was to try to flip it back on its side. Like, just watch... Really? Yes, looking at it, like, sitting there on the freeway upside down, I started to try to flip it back over. And... My brain, something in my head knew, what am I doing? But I couldn't help myself. Like, like, like try it, get it. Just seem, just seem like the right thing to do. Yeah, huh? yes. A little bit of shock. Little, okay, all right. It, I mean, if that's happening to you on the freeway, I, I can imagine if you were suddenly transported <laughs> into space, right? <laughs> and and have a crash. You know, a bunch of alien people are trying to shoot you down. Okay, all right. Hey, I, you've brought me back into into uh, real life there. So he's got that. He's got his plane uh, upside down, hanging upside down. He, um, I, what I like about this episode is I think that it shows the angst between. First of all, um, so Roy gets mad at Captain Global because he's told that he can't go look for Rick Hunter. Right, you know, and he right. and and Hunt uh, Global's telling uh, Roy, like, there's there's more important things to do, and he's like, I'm I'm sorry, or let's copy that, sir. You know, thank you, sir, and 
and he obeys orders, but he does it in a very, very passive-aggressive way. Yeah. Do you know who did that before? Who? Claudia. Remember Claudia was giving him giving him guff about the, oh, doing the space yeah, fall, yeah, right? Yeah. And then did the, uh, yes, sir, <laughs> Captain, sir. Right, right. Like, these two are made for each other. But it does add a refreshing element that some because every good leader has to have has to have someone that can tell them, dude, like no, we can't do that, you know. But and and here's the thing that stood out to me about Global. So Claudia's arguing with him, telling him you can't go look for your friend. Uh, who knows if he, he if he's out there and and, and what have you, uh, because there's and and man, this number comes up a lot. There, there are seventy thousand civilians, right? It's the fact that Global gets on the line and says, look, I understand you want to look for your friend, but we have 70,000 survivors, civilians. We need all the officers on hand to keep keep everybody safe. To me, the thing that stood out was he didn't need to tell Roy that. He didn't need to give an explanation. He's the, he's the captain of the SDF-1. Right, and that's what a good leader does. You know, occasionally he tells you why. He's not. Ob- yeah. He's not obligated to. No, Un- he didn't have uh, to do anything. But he he went ahead and told him. Understanding is not a requisite of compliance, you know. <laughs> but every now and then, it's good to hear. Oh, oh, okay, seventy thousand people. Maybe I am needed elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. That okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Where it's like, uh, yeah, but I want to do this. Well, that doesn't really help everybody, does it? No, I guess not. It's just a. It was a nice touch. You know, there's there's a couple of nice touches in this uh, episode. And then the second part. Imagine being stranded when you were 19 with a 16 year old girl, and from what the the storyline is supposed to be, she's super hot. Okay. <laughs> right. So you're at the peak of your sexual you know, frustration, whatever you call it. (laughs) And now you're stuck with the 16-year-old girl who you're just like, wow, this is the best thing since sliced bread? Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know. It was clever the way the whole episode played out that angst between, you know, because look at, given if you were in that position, you probably would not have tried to put the moves on her, Okay. Yeah, but no. but in the one scene, okay. So first off, she, you know they they go they're exploring, they're trying to see where the hell they're at, and she wants to take a shower. Okay. Okay. Well, hold on. Okay. Before we get to that. Before we get before there. Before we get to that, let let <laughs> let because there's a couple of things I I, I have to to pick. Okay. Here. Okay. Go for it. So Rick and May, Min May go walking through the ship, right? Uh, and they come across these pipes that are decorating the walls of the ship. And they're leaking. So, in my in my head, this is a brand new ship. And and by by that I just mean that they've gone through the ship, they've researched every inch, and they've tried to rebuild everything. Yeah, this well, is alien tech. Remember, the Zentradi they, couldn't even recognize it. So yeah, in all in all intents and purposes, it's a new ship. Remember, Bre- right. Bretai said, you know, that's Zora's ship, but what's happened to it? Right, right. <laughs> so. It's already got leaking pipes. I'm guessing that's from the damage sustained in the spacefold, or 
is that ship like I don't know designed to give like that creepy feel like the Nostromo from uh, Aliens, or like what I imagine walking through the uh, the underground catacombs of like Disneyland would be like. <laughs> right, right. It's like, is it supposed to be alien and creepy and weird? Well, definitely yes, but it makes you why, why the leaking pipes? But it makes you wonder why the leaking pipes because. If the goddamn SDF-1 has a radiator, that's – you would think that a spaceship would have a better cooling system than that, right? Well, you know, you got to cool down the reflex furnace, right? Well, couldn't you use the vacuum of space to cool down your engine? Well, they, sure. <laughs> so the other part, they come to a room, right? They come to effectively a dead end. They open up the room and it's filled with, with scrap parts. Again, it's a brand new ship. This is maiden voyage, man. I'm sure they haven't like taken the the protective plastic off the back of the monitors, and uh, there's already leaky pipes and like a a room that's like a junk drawer. The only thing I can attribute that to is the massiveness of the project. Okay, like they had to move on from place to place and they probably left stuff that if you would think about it you would walk from one end of the ship to the other to remember to pick up some scraps that you left (laughs) yeah it it probably wasn't that important wherever wherever they were at was not always visited you know yeah it wasn't wasn't uh operationally uh important so i get okay i'm following you with here this is why i'm bringing it up because i want you to bring me home on this one it, it it kind of makes sense. This is an area that's not visited a lot, and it reinforces just how big the ship is. Uh, that they're hitting a dead end, but it they hit a a room filled with junk parts, basically, or spare parts. In fact, I'll, I'll call it spare parts. I I think Rick calls them junk parts, or yeah, and it's a stretch. You've gotta you've gotta allow for some. You know, hmm, that doesn't seem quite right. But I think you're right in the sense that it is trying to let you view that, man, this this ship is enormous, you know? Yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, because Roy set that up in the in the last episode. What was it like? Uh, this ship is bigger than you can possibly imagine. That's why he told him to stay put uh, right before they did the fold. Yeah, and he was absolutely right. And, of course, yeah. Rick didn't listen. What did he do? The first thing he did is, let's try to get out of here. Let's get the hell out of here. Yep. <laughs> Again, it, it, to me, you know, a little cowboy flying ace. We're going to get out of here. I'm going to save you, Minmay. Yeah, but it, sometimes it's hard to wait, man, you know? Yeah, so so what's – okay. So so that th- those were my bones to pick with that scene, right? Let's go back to – Roy giving a bunch of shit to Global. What I think is funny is, so I mentioned that Claudia is the only other one to have spoken to Global that way so far. And when she cuts the communication with Roy to Global, she calls him a hothead. I think it's funny that she's the one calling him out for being a hothead when she's the only other one to have spoken to Global in the exact same way. Yeah, no, they they definitely both have a... A penchant for for maybe not questioning, but standing up to authority, you know? Well, you know, probably behind the scenes, her and Lisa had talked about Rick Hunter and what a little shithead he was. 
<laughs> and so she was probably at that point like, Roy, forget that dude, Joe. Just do your job. You know, she she had she was privy to the information of how many people just died on Daedalus and Prometheus. And she probably knew Global didn't need this. Because there's been some people I've hated. But when I see um, something that's being, like, like they're, they're getting blamed for something unfair and, and, and someone else is trying to, like, make something harder on them. I'm like, no, dude, no, no, no. Just just get what you're supposed to do done. And she probably felt that for him, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Any uh, Either way, Global's got the patience of Job, right? <laughs> Definitely. And I think that's what the you know, the episode on top of, like, it, it tries to put the drama on this young teenage love and then this responsibility of, of command and, yeah. and, and show the, the drama of both of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. So moving on, Rick and Min May, they find an airlock room uh, with a Zentradi sized door. And uh, they come upon a window that shows a city's worth of debris floating outside of the ship, which I thought was a good touch. And I, I paused it a couple of times. I was trying to de- define anything that was out there. The only thing I really saw was like a tricycle. <laughs> uh, right. I couldn't see anything else. Um, boy, I was really hoping for something. Maybe an Easter egg. Maybe, uh, you know, just something. But uh, no. Then we cut back over to the bridge. Lisa says that the captain is beginning inspection and coffee's being served. So, look, it's not it's not Studio Ghibli type food in this universe. But the coffee that's being served looks so damn good. I while I was watching it, I had to get up and and get myself a cup of coffee. And I also thought, "Wow, I want an SDF1 coffee cup or the fucking hat, dude, the hat." The hat? What are you talking about? The, the the baseball cap, the SDF one oh. hat. Like if you're, oh, yes, I've got my Max Sterling VF one J staring right at me right now. Not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so they serve. They're serving coffee out on the bridge. It's all the bridge bunnies, right? And uh, look, if the endless memos and emails I get from work are any indication. You should be using a spill-proof cup around all that technology, right? <laughs> right. right. Like, <laughs> I, I think I think protoculture is waterproof, homie. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing: I I do like the choice for them to be making coffee. Um, not only do you have Global saying, you know, in the last episode, uh, it's going to be a long trip, but they just went through this high, high anxiety, high adrenaline issue of alien attack. Space fold, realizing where they are. Holy crap, get these people on board. 70,000 civilians out here. Two carriers worth of people dying. Dude. <laughs> oh, man. That's such a bummer. It, dude, it was a total bummer. When I read the oh. book, I like that made me go like, because it talked a little bit about the recovery mission and clearing uh-huh. all those bodies. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Wow, that's brutal. All right, but but yeah, well, it kind of undercuts what I was saying. Just 
All right. Well, we've been through all that. We're safe now. Let's go ahead and have a cup of coffee. But wow, well, two carriers. No, I don't even. People, I don't right? even think it's that we're safe. It's just now. Like now, there's there's a there's a pause. You're right. A, a pause. I, I misspoke. Absolutely. And let's have a cup of coffee. Because what else? If you, if you just sit there, you're gonna go crazy. And it's not like you can go to sleep anyway. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Let's have a cup of coffee. I'm gonna be up for the next. I don't know. However many days it takes to to get back to Earth. So it'll help you stay awake, and it'll make you feel a little bit better. And it was probably some damn good Nespresso, too. Not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny is um, during that scene, they have they have what I would normally call like a, a back-from-commercial-break discussion. You know, it's a little recap of their situation. Claudia's again giving uh, Global some shit for using the hyperspace fold. Uh, she's still upset at him for doing that. And then they have that discussion about not using the standard communication system because they could give away their position, right? So it's a little bit of, hey, let me tell you where we're where we came from. Let me tell you where we're at. Let me let me try to fill in a, a little plot hole that some of you people could say, well, why don't they just send out a communications? And it's like, well, because we can give away our position doing that. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Um, and and so from what I remember, they didn't, they didn't, right? They didn't broadcast anything to Earth. They didn't, but uh, the whole conversation's interrupted. RX twenty four block sector command post leader wanted to speak with Lisa, and that was another thing. Uh, it's subtle. In fact, it's it's really only something you're probably gonna think about if if you're breaking down these episodes like we are. But RX-24 block, that's assuming, it's not assuming, but it's kind of saying, like, there are so many blocks we had to start, you know, we went through A through Z. <laughs> right. Then, <laughs> then BA through BZ. All the way up, we're all the way up to RX, and that's not even including the numbers of 24. So RX-24, my goodness. How how big this ship must be, right? It's a big one. So we we cut right back. Well, I mean, Lisa gives her uh, so much for a coffee break. So we go back to Rick and Minmay. Uh, realize that they're at a, another dead end passage. And at this point, Rick asks if Minmay's leg feels any better. Where did she hurt it? I, that, I don't remember. Okay, so that's the exact thought I had. In fact, I even have that note uh, written down. That's when she says she feels thirsty, right? Mm. And Rick remembers that they're surrounded by water. Right, right. <laughs> so he and Minmay uh, go, or Rick starts trying to break open one of these water pipes, pipe, right? With a, with a pry bar, right? With a, with a... Yeah, breaker bar. Um, and right before Minmay joins him in doing it, because she sees he needs the extra strength, she takes off her heels Mm-mm. Oh, okay. She's She's been walking around the ship. In heels. And that's why she was taking a break sitting down, and that's why she says her legs were hurting. And it was one of the main things I was looking for. I thought there was maybe a missing scene from the original. No, she took her heels off just the same and went to help Rick. And I was like, oh, okay, she's been walking around in heels. Gotcha. Now, is this to get a drink of water? Yes. Yeah, because she says she's thirsty, right. and then Rick has that like, 
oh, wait, why didn't I think of this before? Because his ship doesn't carry any water rations. And they break open one of the pipes. You know, it's spewing out water and they're drinking from it. Confident in the fact that it's pure, clean drinking water. There's no additives. There's no antifreeze. There's no, I don't know, alien technology within it. (laughs) Boy, they just start drinking, don't they? Right, and I always imagine that on the bridge, there's this red light going, you know, emergency, emergency, <laughs> overheating in section, you know, RZ, whatever. <laughs> and it's at that point that out of nowhere, Min May decides to take a shower. Okay, so I... I I have tried to get in touch with my feminine side just Uh to try to understand women better, okay? I seriously doubt that at a time like that, a woman would just say, hey, you know what would feel better right now in the middle, in the bowels of this huge ship with some guy that I barely know would be if I just stripped down and took a shower. So so we have Rick gives an exceptionally creepy, hmm, like, what a great idea, Min May. <laughs> she starts to unbutton her dress, and he's like, you know what? I'm in. Let's do this. I was going to say we should take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so I'm trying to figure this out. Are they trying to be a little provocative for the audience? Or are they making sure that we know conclusively, despite the fact that it's been obvious the entire time, that he's interested in her? That's what I think it is. Again, trying to show the angst of being trapped with the opposite sex and you're young, right? And you probably at this point both think you're hot. Right, right. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. Uh, So, yeah, in the Japanese version. She does a scream. Rick comes running in and says, uh, you know, don't worry, I'm, I'm coming. I'll save you. And then surprised to see her doing nothing and her going like, huh, well, I'm glad. I, I'm sure you ran in, right? Didn't he try to sneak a little peek? He, oh, yes, he did try to sneak a little peek. She gave and, a little. And then she gave a little yelp. Yeah, she gave a little yelp. You're right. And he, and he tried to pretend like, what What? What happened? <laughs> and she's like, I thought I saw something. Hmm. <laughs> Here's the thing I find interesting. So in the Japanese version, after Rick comes running into the shower and, and she's like, uh-huh. Like, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa nothing, nothing. I, okay, I'll leave. She then says... Maybe I teased him a little too much, well, which I like. Yes, yeah, because it gives her agency. She's not, she's not dumb. She knows what she's doing. She knows that she gave that little scream, and he came running in. In in in, in the American version, who knows why she? Why did she scream? What's what's the impetus for that? I thought that the American version tried to make it seem like she noticed him peeking. Like she saw his shadow or something. So I think it was more for for an American audience of the woman chastising the man for, hey, you know, what are you trying to do? Ah. I'm a proper woman, you know? Yeah. 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 Although they, be, they I don't know. They betray that a little bit further in the episode. 
Min Mei's all over the place in this for me in the American version. Japanese version, much better in their portrayal of Min Mei for this episode. Min Mei gets a bad rap, I think. Um, the, the American version definitely tries to make her more of an antagonist for Rick than anything else. You know, I think they were I, I think they were trying to work with what they had and so it does end up being kind of disjointed. She's up, she's down. She says things that seem leading but then doesn't. And then we do have actual plot points in later episodes based purely off of this episode. But I regardless of all that, regardless of of how we feel about Min May, and I'm saying we as the general Robotech public in our dislike for Min May and I think that's born mostly out of how much we like Rick the point being is is that little difference there that maybe I teased him a little too much that made me like her a lot more that that made me understand her a lot more and, and understand that scene okay so in the Japanese version do they show her ass they do full frontal buddy seriously really no they don't oh that was a what <laughs> no, they they do it, and it's the reason I watched the original broadcast version because I was like, well, how did they deal with this? Uh, and they just do a quick cut. They they do the pan up from the legs, skip the butt, and go to the shoulders. You know, were you cut off guard? Yes, I I I didn't expect it. I was like, whoa, wait, what the f- that? That's when I realized that there was more on you know in these than I thought other than just sounds in the in the intro. Because remember, earlier you had said you liked the way as a kid that this show respected you because, you know, people died. There were consequences. It wasn't G.I. Joe where missiles could hit you and then you ejected and you were okay. Yeah. You know, so if it had, as a, if you were a kid and you were just flashed a bit, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. You know, I mean, you might have been like, whoa, but then you would have been like, okay, I get it. You're like, that's her butt. And then, and then moved on from there, you know? That's, that's why, like, like Europeans and, and different countries are, their whole view on sexuality is so much better than ours because we, we still have, we're still suffering from the Puritan view of like everything should be cover up. And if you show ankles, you're going to hell. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like that. <laughs> you know, it's not. I hear you, but there's no way you're, you're, you know, you're, you're showing this Saturday morning on Fox, right? No, no. But uh, when I saw you it. You never I, see April O'Neil's butt. Right. But then again, April O'Neil would never have said like, all right, I'm going to take a shower. Right. Yeah. I'm some... glad we got away from uh, Bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> I think that's what uh, hit me the most on this is is for all for all her innocence it seems like a misstep in her character that she wants to take a shower right now does that fake scream to have him come in right because shortly after the shower she's she's there making faces at a reflection of herself in the in the cockpit window the the creature with no arms, I believe she says. Remember? Okay, because he gives her his flight suit, which might be a bit big for her, but you know, she can wear it. Yeah, she so she goes she goes from uh well, I better take a shower to 
making faces at herself, you know, which maybe I don't know, maybe I don't remember being 16 anymore, but that may be what happens. It's kind of an up and a down kind of thing. Right, right. For a 16 year old female, you're probably all over the place. Yeah, it, but if she knew what she was doing originally, if she was saying, like, ah, I was teasing him, maybe I went a little too far. That, I don't know, it at least gives her some, again, like agency in her own skin. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so uh, so she finishes her shower and gets dressed in the flight suit. And we have some more banter, um, which is good. They're developing a relationship, and I, I I can appreciate that they're taking an episode to do this. Uh, and, and they're also showing that Rick, at this point, is overly confident, and Min May's continually teasing him, uh, kind of about that overconfidence. Right. Like they, They're busting each other's balls, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, then that's nice. It, it's good to hear. So then later, Rick finally gets out of his flight suit, uh, which I like. Because he's no longer wearing that neckerchief. And and look, I'm sure it has an important tactical use when flying the Mockingbird. But <laughs> boy, do I hate it. I hate the neckerchief. It's, it's you know, Fred from, uh, from Scooby-Doo. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate it so much. It was nice to see him in just a pair of pants and a white t-shirt because that's what I expect a, a fly boy to be wearing, you know, outside of the, the flight suit. So as they're talking, one of the things um, that I really liked is that Min May says that she's worried about her family. Man, I think that's a nice touch. Yeah. Because uh, that's that's some realism right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we we see that there are mice on the SDF-1. Uh, which kind of made me look forward to like a mouse roasting scene. Well, before but before that, doesn't yeah. um they kind of reflect on their situations? Like, doesn't doesn't Rick talk about the war? Um, like like reflecting on the situation. Yeah, he talks about how uh, how it's crazy that he came to just see his buddy on Macross Island, and instead he ends up being in the middle of a war right right and he's like i didn't want any of this and she talks about how she's worried about her family yeah and that kind of i think that kind of foretells a little bit of just how far apart they are you know wow yeah that's really that, that that's a good point i don't know i think at that point it starts to it starts to show that almost like a Romeo and Juliet type of thing, you know, where star-crossed lovers are going to meet a tragic end here. That is that is really, really deep because uh, he's worried about himself, right? Mm-hmm. He's thinking about himself. She's thinking about her family. Yeah. No, no, I'll have to rewatch that scene uh, with that in mind. So she dozes off. That mouse goes across her chest and that's exactly the type of unlucky bullshit that would happen with you, you know, <laughs> as you're trying to comfort somebody you think is pretty hot and she thinks you grabbed her. And you're like, yeah. wait, no, I swear to God I didn't do that. 
Luckily, there's a bunch of other rats, too. <laughs> or mice. And she's like, oh, my God, a mouse. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Again, like, you know, they, they see that there's mice on there. And, okay, so on the one hand, I, I have the, the two parts of my brain working. On the one hand, I'm thinking, brand new ship, mice living on it, junk room, leaking pipes. Um, but on the other side, I'm like, hey, look, there's mice. We got something to eat. We got fuel, and now we have some mice. So we got protein, and we have water. Let's not worry about a damn thing right now. Yeah, well, and you cannot um, argue the tenacity of mice, man. Mice have been on ships where they're, they're the, the, the ones that were floating in the water, you know, in the 1300s. To, right. to now, like they, they find a way, you know? All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, and we're about to go to commercial break with the narrator scaring the shit out of us, saying <laughs> they don't know how close they'll come to death. Right. Man, good writing. Right? It's a, and we're not knowing, and you're like, oh, oh they're going to die? <laughs> yeah, how do you not stay tuned, right? <laughs> Are you pulling a psycho on us, and uh, this is the Janet Lee character? <laughs> Okay, so at this point, don't they cut to a scene now where Min Mei is counting the days on his turbo fan jet? Yep, yep, they're okay. on day five. Like, she doesn't mean to do that to something that you're in love with, <laughs> but she's like, oh yeah, let's just scratch the fuck out of your paint job here. Yeah, yeah, which again, in that in their duality of thought patterns, right? Like, Because she's like... I we need to keep track of how many days we've been here, and he's like, "Hey, we're gonna get out of here soon. Quit fucking up my machine." Yes. Yeah, and again, that he's overconfident and she's realistic. Yeah, you know what? I think that tracks throughout the entire series. She's realistic, and and he grows. He becomes less confident in himself, and then more confident in himself. But yeah, you know, it. He finally comes to that point where he's able to realize that he doesn't know what he doesn't know so because yeah. he's because he's older he's older yeah. you know yep not by much but you don't have to be much there's a certain point like like the difference between a 13 year old and a 15 year old can be different you know like really different right so then we're going to cut to a cafeteria scene with claudia and lisa purely there to tell us that they're rebuilding the city inside the ship Seventy thousand survivors right Again, they say it so many times in this episode. I kind of got sick of it. Uh, in the uh, Japanese version, it's 50,000, by the way. Really? I don't know why the difference. Can't can't figure out a reason why it's 50,000 versus 70,000, but yeah. Because in America, we can save more people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back to the narrator, back to Rick and, Min- and Minmei after that very short cafeteria scene. Rick can't find a way out. Then Rick comes up with this idea to go out the airlock and enter in through another airlock above the level they're at. And that's when he's going to um, put on his flight suit and go into the fucking vacuum of space, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's a great uh, idea. Yeah, it's perfect. It's flawless. Flawless. What, it, what the, the, the fuck thing. could go wrong with that? <laughs> that sounds here's, like a 19-year-old <laughs> idea. I don't even... I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but 
here's the good thing I can take away from it. <laughs> they had his his uh flight helmet hanging upside down and they had all the food in it. And I'm guessing that's to keep it away from the mice. Yeah, that makes sense. Because he starts he starts throwing out the uh the cans of the 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 rations inside there. He starts throwing them out of the helmet and they're empty. So I, I here's the thing. It wasn't needed. They didn't need to include that. I thought it was a great touch. That is, flight helmet was hanging upside down. They were keeping the food in there. Because you got to keep your like your food raised, you know? Right. They're going to get into it, you know? Yeah. But let's go back to it. What a terrible plan, right? I don't know if I would have had this in 19. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they see a big-ass fish floating around, right? And they're like, tuna. Oh, man. They both say tuna. And, and uh, okay, I'll be honest, not a moment goes by when I don't pass by a, a butcher or a deli and I see tuna that I don't think of this scene, right? Yeah. Hey, I've, I've been on some deep sea fishing trips where I've caught yellowtail. Yeah. And as I, as I pull them bitches up, I'm like, I feel like Rick Hunter in my flight suit <laughs> pulling that fucking thing up onto the ship. Oh, but here's the thing. That helmet only goes down to like near below his lip, right? Yeah. So he's yeah. got to use that goddamn neckerchief <laughs> to make up the difference. I don't know in the cold vacuum of space if a neckerchief is going to really make the difference between life or death. Uh, not to mention, there's no compression within the suit. Holding your breath doesn't work in outer space. You would actually have to expel all of the air out of your lungs. Uh, I, yeah. No, I'm not. That that one was a stretch if there was any stretch to be had. Right. Right. Okay. So we can let's forgive them for that just because of the great story they gave us. All right. So we have we have what is literally to me the first stretch. We have to make the first real stretch. We have to make uh, in- right where there's no forgiveness. Like you, there's you can't go around and say, "Well, maybe this, maybe that." Because I try, I give it every effort to be like, "This could have happened. This could have happened. Yep. Maybe this." You know, on this one, I'm like, "Fuck that! That fish wouldn't have even been there to begin with." <laughs> and I'm not. You if know it- what? I'm giving them the fish. <laughs> you can have the fish. <laughs> Okay, so he's got the neckerchief of power, and he survives this. So he pulls it in. They only cut they cut off the head of this fish, but it's big enough for them to last for a while, right? Yeah, it's gigantic. And again, in my head, they have rats. Let's let's stop worrying about food. <laughs> and so, but then, so then it kind of leads though into a scene where they talk about their dreams. You know? Yeah. This is where you learn she wants to be a singer. Uh-huh. And then she does a little a little song. This is 12 days into it. If you're watching, she starts to sing To Be In Love. So, number one, it's a love song, okay? So we, so we, are, so we know what is important to her. It's a love song. And regardless of what you think of it, you got it in, in, in the show, it's the... It's Vanessa Williams singing <laughs> the greatest love song, you know? Oh, wait a minute. No, I guess we don't have to update that for any of our listeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> why, why would we have to update that for? 
<laughs> and it's like, okay, general age of our listeners are uh, between the ages of me and you. So, uh, yeah, we don't need to update. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine that. Imagine if, if you're in there with a world-class singer and she sings for you, you know? You're just like, he, he was mesmerized. And that music can have that kind of power. Oh, it, you know what? She could be the worst singer, but you're stuck in this situation. You already think she's beautiful. Just by bias, you're going to be like, Okay, wow. but look at, but no, but she ends up being like a superstar. So, it, so it wasn't even that. It was you with this hot girl who sang with the voice of an angel. Okay. All right. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And so he was like, "Wow, I, what, what does he say?" He's like, "You sound beautiful," or, or that. Yes. And then, and then she mentions that, but she, what she really wants to be is a bride. Okay. All right. I'm back there. The girl I like, and I'm stuck in, in a hole with, just saying uh, amazingly. After 12 days of being stuck with her, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then she hits you with that. She wants to be a singer. She's been training to be an entertainer. Uh, okay, yeah. And then she wants to be a bride, and then then she she starts to break down, because now that's, that's the breaking point for pretty much about anybody, I would think. Hold on, something's coming to me here. So, you've been stuck with this girl for 12 days, right? You already thought she was beautiful. Um, then she sings like an angel, your heart breaks, you fall in love, you know, in that moment. And then she says, I guess what I really want to be is a bride. And then Rick goes, huh? With a, with a musical cue to add to it. Then he gets, th then that spell gets broken, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So we can, we can allow that because that was, that's just that little bit of comedy that we were talking about. That, that right. worked in the other episodes. Because uh, it's like, it's, you know, I mean, what is it? It's like, it's, it's the silliness that I think comes from Japanimation where if you've ever watched Dragon Ball Z or Pokemon, any kind of surprising situation, they have to overemphasize with that, huh? I, I get it with the huh, but they also had to throw in the musical cue. They're like, meow. What I what I attribute it to is that he's been trying to control himself for this long, mm -hmm. and then that you know when she throws that there, it gets just harder for him to control himself. You know. Ah. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. And she so she wants to get married, right? Yeah. Rick gets all what, and we figured that it was because he was, you know, trying to control himself, and now she wants to talk about getting married. That she, and then, so then she says, and now I'll never get a chance. Yeah. And then he says, we could pretend, right? And again, that tactical, <laughs> that tactical neckerchief comes in. <laughs> Dude, that, uh, they, Robotech.com should sell <laughs> neckerchief. I'd it buy is, it now. It is multi-use, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'd play, not only can I survive the vacuum of space... <laughs> I can get chicks with this too. <laughs> so yeah, that that desperation hits Min May. She doesn't think they're gonna get out, right? And 
you know, Rick's being supportive. We're going to get out of here, you know. And do you think he does that? Like, we can. But then he's kind of, like, so wishy-washy. Because she goes, will you do it if you want to? You know, he's like, if you want or, or... Come on, Rick. Man up. You know, but at least he suggested. And I'm not in love with the fact that he says, you know, it's a pretend wedding. Of course it's a pretend wedding. Like, give her what she wants, man. But, you know, she agrees. And they start. But the spell is broken, like, halfway through. And she's back to being scared and hopeless. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is that in the original, she suggests that they just go out into the airlock and get it over with. Commit suicide? Yeah. I love it. Wow. That's fucking awesome. I lo- not not that they want to commit suicide, but no. that's such an adult thing of... I, I could see that. Like, like that's why people, like, like World War II soldiers had that fucking poison pill you know yeah yeah that's like that telegraphs the hopelessness that she was feeling like okay i'm I'm able to take my oh you're gonna we're gonna do a, a pretend wedding great you know what why don't we just get it over with you know we know what's gonna happen we can't get out of here the inevitable and then she asks him to kiss her which is why he's like, if you want. Right, right. Dude, um, would you have said that? In the in the Japanese version, she doesn't ask that. They just start giving eyes to each other. and they, Which is way better, way yeah, better. Yeah, and they start pursing their lips, and then the ceiling caves in. And we see them, <laughs> that Macross mayor. And I could see why he passed out, you know? Yeah, right, right. So they're, they're, they're raised up to the next level. And Rick is swarmed, man. Like, Minmay gets, oh, thank God Jason's alive. (laughs) So they get raised up, and we see that the entire Macross city has been rebuilt inside the ship. And people are hitting Rick, like, oh, thank you, son, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, oh. (laughs) And you're malnourished. You're probably uh, dehydrated. Unless you're getting all the water you need from the coolant of the SDF-1, but it probably has some side effects to it. Twelve days later, it still can't be spewing in a geyser-esque, let's take a shower way, can it? Without, not without someone noticing. <laughs> <laughs> or it flooding the whole section you're in. Here's the funny thing. All right, so the intercom... <laughs> and then it gets weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Lisa comes over the intercom and she says, uh, you know, it's just a construction accident. Or no, ca- no casualties, No casualties. Right? No casualties. So in the original Japanese version, that intercom says uh, the attack on the ship was a small scale enemy ship and Valkyrie squadron destroyed them. Wow. How strange, government, right? Government misleading things right okay bill because there's more of that we'll get into that a little bit different but yeah that's not the only part man i didn't get that because i didn't see that part but in the book there's yeah. something a little bit different later on crazy crazy oh, so really? this sets the precedence for that can't wait to hear wow that. this is the potentator of conspiracy <laughs> the potentate now what is that <laughs> that is the largest fry in a bag of French fries. All right. So, (laughs) end of the episode. I'm going to ask you who's your MVP. 
learning what I've learned from you explaining to me a little bit about the Japanese version, I'm going to say Minmei because I've always wanted it to be. I just couldn't allow it back when I only thought she was kind of shallow. Sure. But now, dude, I, 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 give her, I give her some points and I would say MVP. Look, I never thought I would be saying that the original Japanese version was superior. Mm -hmm. I've always had problems with this episode. When I was a kid, it was just that it was boring. The only action is tuna. So I chose my MVP early on, and I'm sticking with it. It's going to be Claudia uh, for continuing to give global shit about doing the space uh fold. Yeah. I like that she has a consistent character. And in this episode, she's so, like, I mean, she's only got those two little parts, okay? Yeah. But, and, and it's easy to miss it if you don't really understand the dynamic of what's going on with that scene. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely giving Claudia my MVP on this one. All right, so give me your uh, rating of this episode. That's a, a rating of 1 to 10 out of 10 Veritex, 10 being the highest. Okay. I'm going to give it a rating of four, okay, but with an essential rating of 10. Okay, okay. This wasn't, this wasn't the most exciting part of the story to tell, but it was something that needed to be told. Wow. Because you agree with me. I was going to give it a four. I thought it was going to be shocking to you. It was just boring. It was long. It was a bottle episode in a cartoon. There's no explosions, There's except for a wall caving in. There's no Veritex. I didn't like tuna at the time. I don't know where the hell she got the pan big enough to boil a tuna head that size. Okay, so you gave it a four reading, or four rating, just like Oh, I I'm did, giving right? it a four. Yeah, I again, I was going to give it a four, and I thought I was going to okay. blow your mind. over. That's nuts. See, great, great minds think alike, man. I'm telling you. Wow. Well, here we are at the end of the episode. All right, so I want to give a, a shout-out to Professor, who gave us some encouraging words when he found out that we were starting this podcast. And, uh, man, thanks. Thanks for, the, thanks for the kind words. That was amazing. That was amazing to hear from somebody. Uh, thank you again. And everybody who's listening, you know, I, I hope you're enjoying this. We hope that it's a, a distraction from the COVID virus and Everything that we're sure you've been bombarded with. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly the best part of my week. So thank you guys for listening so much. And every little listen that we see adds up, we get super excited about. It's, it's an honor to have anyone who's listened and enjoyed this. Uh, it's a super honor, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Every time, you know what, when we started this, I said, if nobody listens, this is what we would be talking about anyway. All right. All right. Fair enough. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you again for listening and become part of the conversation. 